RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. It's important that doctors thrive, not only in medicine, but in all aspects of life. That's a key principle of the Wellbeing Charter for Doctors. The Charter was developed by RACs and other medical colleges to signify the importance of the role that colleges, hospitals and health jurisdictions have to play to support doctors and ensure that they have the opportunity to prioritise their physical and mental well-being. The Charter's aim is to encourage conversations about well-being amongst doctors themselves and their supervisors and managers and to demonstrate a unified approach to doctors' well-being. To discuss the Charter is Dr Ruth Bollard, Chair of the RAC's Wellbeing Working Group, and Dr Eric Levi, a member of the Working Group. Both are passionate advocates for shining a light on doctors' wellbeing. First, Chris Ashmore asks Dr Bollard why the Charter was created. The aim was really to unify the doctors' wellbeing approach so that we can advocate with one voice to all institutions, governments and policymakers. So... Doctors' health is important for surgeons in particular. There's research as far back as 1997 when thoughts of burnout, emotional exhaustion, depersonalisation and low personal accomplishment were high amongst surgeons. And we noted that the risk factors were long training, the personal sacrifices that brings and high divorce rates amongst surgeons. Whilst practising surgeons report their general career satisfaction, it's interesting that only 50% would recommend becoming a physician or a surgeon to their own children. And job satisfaction is lowest amongst vascular and general surgeons and thought to be highest amongst paediatric and transplant surgeons. In 2016, a meta-analysis of 71 studies described burnout, known in the past to be highest amongst surgical oncologists, but to also be in the 40% range of obstetricians, orthopaedic surgeons, urologists, and did drop down to about 26% in general surgery. We now describe this burnout as really moral injury. Well, if I can turn to you, Eric, what do you hope for it to achieve? Thanks, Chris. I think Ruth have really identified that it started off with a problem or an issue that it's hard to actually define. There were terms like burnout, moral injury, depression, mental illness, stress, exhaustion. And I think the challenges of the pandemic has made those problems even more upfront in our minds. In general, I think as a group, we feel that we firstly want to underline the issue and the challenges. But this charter is not a a stick. It is actually the carrot. It is actually the ideal. It is actually the ideal standards that we hope to achieve. The charter itself is not punitive. It actually provides some really broad general recommendation. It's almost as if we had a perfect uh, hospital. This is what it looks like. If we had a perfect leadership and a perfect culture and a perfect working environment for doctors, This is what we want to see. So in a sense, I hope the Charter will achieve a certain sense of commonality in terms of what we discuss and what we will be aiming for. Just like most Charters, it doesn't go into definitive specifics, the do's and don'ts, but it provides a broad stroke of the brush to say this will be the ideal situation because ultimately, and I think behind all of these things, is that a doctor's well-being matters for our patients 
a doctor who is performing at their top game would provide the excellent care that the patients need. So the final product is actually patient care and patient safety and patient satisfaction. But to get there, we also need to ensure that the critical piece of the doctor well-being is taken care of well. And I think that's what the charter hopes to achieve, that holistic ideal picture. Absolutely. Ruth? Yeah, I mean, it's about raising that awareness of why this is important, not just for our own health, our own behaviours, our own marriages, but really it's patient outcomes at the end of the day. And how can managers and supervisors use the charter to benefit doctors? Ruth? Yeah, well, we hope that we're describing the responsibility for well-being is really shared. So it's not just us as individuals or system partners, but it's the whole of workplace, medical colleges, medical schools, regulators, quality improvement bodies, etc. So how can managers and supervisors in the hospital use the charter? Well, they can use it to bring an awareness and sensitivity to others under their support, colleagues, lives, professional and non-professional, and awareness of the sensitivities they may have, and be prepared to support each other in times of need. Be kind to each other. I guess managers and leaders actually have an obligation to do this. They have an obligation to foster well-being. And we hope that this charter will bring about proactive discussions on well-being at departmental team meetings and make it it's okay to talk about health and well-being. Not just ask the question, are you okay? But it is okay to be vulnerable and to talk about it. Your thoughts, Eric? Yeah, just flowing on from that. One of the beautiful things about the charter is that we divided it into the various responsibilities. It's everyone's responsibility. It's not just the doctor's responsibility to fix their own well-being. It's divided into doctors, colleagues, managers, leaders, hospitals and jurisdictions, and also medical colleges. Each of us have got part responsibility to see that the general well-being of every clinician working in healthcare is looked after well. Mm-hmm. And Eric, what practical steps can hospitals and employers take to protect doctors? The role of the hospitals and employers is critical. They are the ones that set up the culture, the facilities, the resources and the contexts where doctors will be working in. And I would also include even, you know, small general practices. And we're talking more than just big hospital-centric institution, but even the smallest clinical practice groups in GP practices are critical in this area. And there's a lot of practical things. I mean, we talk about accessibility, inclusion. We talk about safety of the actual workplace. But we also talk about the culture and the care around the facility. There are multiple resources available out in the open about how institutions can actually improve the well-being of every clinician. But in a very practical way, the facility and the institution matter significantly. So I think the first place, though, is an understanding that the context that the hospital practices in has a significant effect on the well-being of the practitioner. So therefore, paying attention to those things would matter as the first step. Mm-hmm. Ruth? Yeah, I think Eric's right. It's a global thing, really. If we look at what causes moral injury or burnout in the old days, managers and hospitals and employers need to ensure their staff are working a, within the safe working hours and guidelines and not overworking them. 
but more importantly, that they feel valued and respected. And we know that if you're doing something that's not aligned with your individual purpose or being or values, then that causes you that injury and that moral disconnect. So we need to ensure that doctors' activities are aligned with their own individual purpose and being and that we don't lose sight of that. I suppose on a personal note, Ruth, what do you do to prioritise your own mental health? I find time I'd like to keep fit and I cycle. I'm a keen cyclist. I also try and fit yoga into my routine, which helps the old body keep going, but also helps that mental wind down at the end of the day and helps me switch off in order to go to sleep. I mean, I particularly value friends and they're very important to me, but I've always been one to plan regular holidays and have you know nearly a holiday every three months if I can. Admittedly, that's been particularly difficult in this last 20 months. And I do believe, therefore, that COVID has contributed to our exhaustion and a worsening health and well-being status of everybody, not just doctors. And Eric, do you have a, a regime or something that helps with your own mental health or fitness? You've pointed out a very interesting part on in that question here. And I think this is something that I've learned as I was working through this charter, which is an understanding that our health is more than just physical or mental. And we talk about physical health being sleep, exercise, and all that. Then we talk about the mental health being emotional. But the definition that we've actually fallen into is to say that well-being actually encompasses physical, mental, emotional, and cultural health. And I dare even say spiritual health as part of that as well. And many surgeons and many patients would actually attribute to that. So yeah, I think the basic answer to your question is all of us have to have a bit of an attention of different compartments or different components of our general health. And physical health, uh, Ruth have mentioned several things, mental health, just even keeping well in terms of the arts, music, all of that are mental part. Social health, being engaged with family, close friends, a network of uh, relationships, healthy relationships, that keeps you healthy emotionally, mentally as well. And of course, there's that cultural health as well, even just understanding, being appreciated at work for who you are, being appreciated at work for where you're from, and being safe in that environment is great. For me personally, it's just a range of different things that fills in those tiny little cups, time with family, time with friends, even going to the movies, enjoying arts, sports, exercises, and a lot of book reading and journaling is what I personally do that kind of refreshes my physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, cognitive health altogether. So I've learned to actually move away a little bit from well-defined or oh, this is for my physical health and that's for my mental health. I've actually appreciated that a lot of the activities that I do tend to fall into several different ones of those components. And I think feeding each of those things give you a general, holistic, better health. And I think that was one of the big charter goals is to, to say that it is actually a holistic, big picture health and well-being more than just having to be able to do push-ups and sit-ups or being happy all the time, so to say. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, before we go, any final words about well-being in general or the charter in particular? Eric? Yes, I would say, Chris, that this is a work in progress. Where we were five years ago and where we are today is different. And I do hope that in the next five years, we're going to see a better approach a more refined approach to 
the well-being of doctors. I mean, that's the first thing that I want to say is that this is a, a work in progress and I do hope that we will continue down this path. This charter is not the final product of the summary. In fact, it is actually the beginning of a conversation that I hope every doctor can take to their institution, their specialty groups, their private practices, their small GP practice to consider the investment that we put in today for doctor well-being will pay off in the long run for good staff retention, for good patient satisfaction, and ultimately for patient safety. So that's the second thing to say that this charter is a trigger or a primer for discussion, not an end product or a summary. Okay, And the third thing is to say that the charter came about not because of the College of Surgeons' own work, but it's the College of Surgeons and so many other colleges. The final endorsement was through nine specialty colleges plus one of the chair of the CPMG, the chair of the medical colleges themselves. So in a sense, it is a collaborative work across silos, across specialties, And I think that's the goal of it all as well. We've all been living in our little silos and little blocks of specialties and we want to go beyond the wall. And well-being is about everybody as well, including the nurses, the allied health, the clerks, the cleaners, the kitchen hands in the hospital, all of that standing around a patient and providing good care when we are at our best. And I think that's the third thing that I'd like to say. It's a big group combined multi-specialty work in progress towards the future. Terrific. And Ruth, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, well, before I thank everybody, I think Eric's point about previous work in silos is important to understand that the reason that we needed collaboration and a unified approach makes you a much stronger voice to all those important entities that can make a difference. So in particular, I'd like to thank the members of the RAC's Wellbeing Working Group for their energy and their expertise, and we are still going. We had a representation from RAC's, i.e. surgeons, from the anaesthetists, from the emergency physicians, all at high level, and from obstetricians and gynaecologists. But in particular, I'd like to name some doctor wellbeing experts who were very privileged to have on board and to delve into all their expertise. So Dr. Margaret Kay, academic lead at Doctors Health in Queensland, Associate Professor Marie Bismarck, Health Head of Law and Public Health Group in Melbourne Uni, and the Chair of Committee of Presidents of Medical Colleges, Dr. Kim Jenkins, who herself has been President of the College of Psychiatry. So, yeah, I mean, we've still got some work to do. This is, as Eric said, it's work in progress. We've already shared with other institutions and asked for support. I can tell you that as education department amongst RACs is also embedding this charter and the Safe Working Hours guidelines in an updated credentialing process for surgical training units. And one would hope, ultimately, that other credentialing processes for hospitals and other medical bodies could use this tool as well as a tick box. So, yeah, work in progress, and I'm looking forward to the further work that we will be doing. Dr Ruth Bollard and Dr Eric Levi. RAC's Post-Op Podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.